But as we begin, as we dig into the word together, let's turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28 together this morning. We're going to start at verse 10, and we're going to look at the story of Jacob and Jacob's ladder, this incredible dream that he had. Genesis chapter 28 verse 10 says this, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and stopping right there, a stone for, I've never understood that. That is not a good pillow and I don't understand why they drew attention to that or why he did that in the first place. But I mean, he lived there. This is what he, so maybe that's what they did. I didn't even. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a staircase resting on the earth, which with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out from west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Amen. Is God present in your life? Is he always with you? Always there. Everywhere. All the time. Or do we leave him in places like this? In a church sanctuary or some specific holy place where we only visit when we need to. Do you see God's presence in your life or do we just kind of store him somewhere? This morning we're going to be continuing our journey through the Old Testament. Looking at these ancient stories of God's work and presence in the world. Trying to understand this idea that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the God in these ancient stories is the exact same God who is present here in the world today. That the things that he told them and showed them about himself are still true today. That his heart for people, his love, his power, his presence... 
His mission and his purpose is exactly the same as it has always been. And to try to see that we haven't changed as much as we think either. That the struggles and the failings and the fears and the journeys that these ancient people walked through are so much the same as the things that we struggle through in our journey with God too. Their story is our story and God is the same. The God of Adam is the God of Noah, is the God of Abraham, is God here with us. With us. It's a weird idea, isn't it? God is with us. What do you mean when you think of that? What do you picture when you think of that? God is with us, if you think about it at all. What does it mean for God to be with you, really, practically? Is he just kind of floating around? Around your head? Or maybe he's like the sky. Or like the sun in the sky in your mind. Looking down, distant, but there. Or maybe he's like an invisible person. Standing beside you. An invisible friend who's with us when we think about him. Or maybe God is in some kind of token or magic thing, almost like a lucky charm for us. Your Bible or some prayer cloth or a cross that you wear, something that protects you and brings you comfort. What do you really picture when you think about God? Now, some of that is maybe a little bit silly even, but it matters. How we picture God, what we really think about Him, impacts how we relate to Him. Impacts how we live with Him. If God is just distant and far away like the sun or the sky, if He's kind of hands off and just kind of there, then we're going to throw up prayers to the clouds if we bother at all. There's no connection there. There's no relationship. But if God is just an invisible person with us, like a God is my co-pilot bumper sticker or something, then we can shrink God down to such an individual experience and miss how he is the God of the rest of the world, working and moving in the lives of people all around us. And we get focused on the ways that I need God to do stuff in my life to make me comfortable or fix stuff. We turn him into that really nice friend who always just does stuff for us instead of the God of the universe who is working to fulfill his purpose and mission. In the ancient world, gods were really local, really tribal. They were small and practical. Gods were there for harvests, Healing from sickness, protection from enemies. It wasn't about transformation or redemption or relationship. Gods weren't real and relational. It was survival. And our devotion to them was out of fear and practical needs. We needed these crops to grow 
We needed this rain to fall. We needed protection from our enemies and from diseases that we didn't understand. And so these gods fulfilled these roles. And we made sacrifices to them to try to get things to happen. And we would dance around and perform rituals and make sacrifices, all trying to get something, anything to happen to please them so that they would show favor to us. It was small. It was scary. It was chaotic. Because life doesn't conform to our wishes, no matter how hard we try. And these gods didn't have the power we pretended they did anyways. They lived in their temple or their shrine or statue or whatever, and that's where they were. That's where they had power. Abraham and his family were surrounded by these gods. Baal and Asherah, Ra and Dagon and Ishtar and Molech. Gods of the Canaanites and Egyptians, the Sumerians and Babylonians and Akkadians. They were vicious and brutal. We have the stories of Jeremiah and the prophets of Baal. The prophets are screaming and yelling and dancing for hours and cutting themselves with knives, bleeding on the altar, all trying to please Baal, trying to get him to respond in any way. Terrifying stories of Ritual sacrifice, even sacrificing people, children, to these awful gods like Molech and Dagon. It was a brutal, harsh, terrifying world filled with conflict and fear, hunger and sickness and death. And these gods ruled their territory from their shrine or temple, tied to a place, and usually tied to a person. To the God King who embodied the will of the gods. And the influence of that God went as far as that person had control. The land that they held was the land of that God and that's just the way it was. And if you were a person who followed them, as long as you were close, you were safe. To leave your God's protection was death. And so people would try even carrying a little token or totem to try to bring their God's presence with them a little bit to protect yourself, to stay connected. And that's the world that Yahweh is breaking into. The world where Abraham lived when Yahweh came to him. That's what Abraham understood. That's what he saw, what he experienced, what he was surrounded by. And Yahweh came to him and spoke to him and made a covenant with him and blessed him and was going to reveal himself to the whole world through him, through his family. And so Abraham would have taught his son Isaac About this God. What he had seen and heard and experienced. What he had commanded and promised. But how much would you have fallen into the patterns of the world around you? Again, all you knew about these gods and how they operated is what you had seen and experienced your whole life. 
How is this God different from any of the others? Abraham hears from God, and now he is the connection to this God. And this God's influence extends as far as Abraham can reach. And Isaac only has two recorded times where God spoke to him in his whole life. And does this whole story kind of start to fade and mix in with the stories of what they understood from around them? Becoming kind of just another ancient Near Eastern religion. Promises made decades ago to one's ancestors and trying to please this God because, well, that's the God of our household. And a story passed down from generation to generation. Abraham telling Isaac and Isaac telling Jacob and Jacob kind of acknowledging this being kind of. What did Jacob know? What was he taught? Again, it's so difficult for us to picture, same as Abraham, because we have so much. We have the entirety of Scripture and thousands of years of teaching and traditions, and we have songs and culture and stories and structure, not to mention, of course, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit himself underpinning all of that. But Jacob is out there in in the bare desert, surrounded by these cultures and everything he had ever seen and know with these few stories from his grandfather, a man he probably barely knew, with this cold, distant, ancestral God who others had said spoken long ago, but what did he know? What did he believe, if he believed, really? So Isaac sends Jacob out to find a wife from among their family, from his mother's household. Again, very different world. Family was your tribe. Family was life. They were living in Canaan among strangers. And Isaac wanted his son to marry someone from their clan who was far away. And so he leaves his father's house. His territory. To travel to his uncle. To a place more than 500 miles away. And on the way he has this unbelievable experience. He stops to sleep in this foreign land. Away from his father's house. Exposed out in the open, and there in that place, God revealed himself to him. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, and when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night, because the sun had set, taking one of the stones there. He put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord himself. And he said, I am the Lord. The God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. 
And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. That is just the most fascinating reaction to an experience like that. And it shows us just how deeply this tribal, local God worldview was ingrained in the people of that day. Their gods did not go with them. Their gods did not move. I mean, really, their gods did not do anything. But Yahweh was speaking and working into that world and what they understood, helping Jacob to see and understand that he was different, that he was real, that he was bigger than the gods of the people around Jacob, and that he cared. And even then, God didn't fully reveal how eternal and omnipotent and omnipresent he truly is. Jacob wouldn't have understood. We don't understand. It's too big. It's too much. It's it's too complicated. God just said, I'm here too. And I'll be with you wherever you go. It's a beautiful thing. It's such a simple thing, it's, but it's such a powerful thing because even today, with all of our great learning and wisdom and culture and technology, with our libraries of books exploring and explaining complex theology, seminaries and clergy and all kinds of deep philosophical and theological understanding, it's hard to move beyond that simple message, that simple reality, that loving truth that God is saying, wherever we are, I'm here too. It's hard for us to see that sometimes. Those examples that I talked about, the ways that we can view God, they're all true to different extents. We treat God in all of those different ways. We do see God as distant and untouchable like the sky or like an invisible friend or shrunk right down to a little token. And a lot of times we can leave him in a room just like this one where we come to visit once a week or once in a while. And then we go home where he isn't. We go to work. We go to the rink or to the gym or to the mall. We don't even think about how God is present in those places most of the time. We're just living. And then when it's spiritual time, we go to wherever God is that we left him, hoping that maybe he's there. And sometimes hoping he's not. Because we don't always want God around, do we? And when we think about how he is there, we can kind of turn him into a judgmental parent figure or something. Always unhappy with what we're doing. Sometimes rightly so. But just kind of arms folded. 
judging the choices that we're making. It's uncomfortable to think that God is always there and always watching everything we do. But again, it's all in how we view it. We're putting God apart from ourselves in that way. Separate and other. But that's not how Jesus understood the presence of his Father. God wasn't separate, judging Jesus. God was the source and foundation of everything Jesus did. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I do not speak on my own, he says, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. For Jesus, it wasn't just about knowing that his Father was there. It was living his entire life in complete unity and connection with him. Everything he did, everything he said came from his Father. God wasn't just evaluating and judging everything Jesus did. They were one. And that was good. That connection was life for Jesus. It was the source of everything he did. God's presence was everything. And by his Holy Spirit, that is what he is inviting us into as well. To experience connection and life on that same level. Jacob couldn't have imagined that. Way too radical, too huge. That idea is too big for God to be present in a person, with a person, in that way. That was too foreign a concept for him. Maybe even for us sometimes. But it's what God is inviting you to see. To understand, to know, to experience. He is with you. In you. All around you. And he wants you to see that. To hear him. To listen, to know, to obey. To experience the abundant life that Jesus has promised us with him. Even after speaking to Jacob, it took God time to help his people understand just how present he truly is because hundreds of years later, they still literally carried God's presence around with them in the Ark of the Covenant. An object they couldn't touch. God was still separate. The Holy of Holies divided by thick curtains. With them, but other. But now, God has given us the most incredible gift imaginable. His Spirit. Himself living in us, the creator of the universe, the designer of you living in you, speaking to you, leading you, loving you, with you.
Where is God? That's a big question and it's a confusing one because it's hard for us to be aware of just how present he truly is everywhere all the time. But just like Jacob, maybe all we really need to understand most of the time is that he's here too. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and the ways that you invite us to walk with you, to journey with you, to understand how present you truly are. And God, I'm sorry myself and we ask your forgiveness, God, for the times when we try to hide From the very beginning, that was the first thing we tried to do when we were uncomfortable, when we knew something had gone wrong, when sin changed everything. We tried to hide. We tried to push you away. We didn't want you there. But God, you are inviting us to be whole again. The way you created us to be, to experience your presence fully in us, all around us, around the world, as you are working to reveal yourself, to share your love, to restore and bring hope and life. Help us to embrace that, Father. Help us to hunger for your presence, to understand that you are with us, and to desire to share you then with the people around us too. In Jesus' name, amen.